Um, I know it's already been said, if you're here uh, for the first time, we're so stoked to have you with us. Also to Church Online, we're so glad that you guys are with us. Feel free to jump in the chat and shout out where you're at. Um, and so as you know, I've talked about my family quite often, and um, I'm the oldest of three siblings. I'm, I have a brother that's not even two years younger than me, and a sister who's five years younger than me. And I don't know if any of you had siblings growing up. I don't know if any of you um, were close to or not close to your siblings, but my brother and I didn't always see eye to eye. Uh, in fact, we were what would be called sibling rivals. We were constantly competing. We were constantly arguing. We were constantly trying to one-up each other. I think he was trying to catch up with Big Brother. I was trying to always be better than him. And it didn't matter if we were playing Yahtzee or playing cards or literally like walking to the car, calling shotgun, playing bat baseball. Like we were just like kind of constantly at each other. In fact, um, I don't know if she's here, but somebody, I actually just saw somebody at our church post this week about like, oh, my siblings are fighting. Will it ever end? And uh, I think she was referring to the summer. And oh, there you are. Hi, Fawn. Uh, and I said, it ended for me and my brother. I was 32 and he was 30. So there's hope. Uh, and I don't know that that was the answer you're looking for, but, but I remember like we were just constantly, like there was just constant conflict. But I remember one of the bigger ones was um, I had inherited a car from one of my grandparents. So I think I must've been 18. He was 16. And one night I went to FCA, which was in our town. And he went to youth group, which was in another town. And um, on his way home, he got into a car accident. Uh, this is a whole long story because he lied about why he got in a car accident. I knew from the beginning why he really got in the car accident, and I was right. Uh, but that's not, we're not telling that story today. Uh, apparently, he saw a deer, okay? Um, he doesn't know I'm telling the story, Ryan. I hope you get to see this one. Uh, so anyway, but he wrecks, like, he wrecks the car, uh, and that's, it was, our, it was our joint car. Like, we shared it. We went to work. We went to school. We went to practice. It was a small town. And so I was like, well, this stinks. Now, this guy's got to get us a new car. Well, his idea was that we would just go buy a new car together. I'm like, well, there's one problem. Thank you. Thank you. That doesn't make sense because I didn't wreck the car. Like, you wrecked the car. You get a new car. So he talked to my dad. And my dad's like, yeah, you guys can just go in together. I'm like, Am I the only one that has any common sense in this house? Like there was this conflict and now all of a sudden this car that was paid for that I took care of that was useful was no longer good to me and now I had to pay for something else and I just, it, would, it, it was like, a, it was a point of tension with me and my dad. It was a point of tension with me and my brother and, 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 we, and we, it quickly became one of the many power dynamics, one of the many dynamics that we see in relationships uh, and, and maybe you've ever had this happen but it, it, it quickly became apparent that he saw things his way. My brother did. He's like, well, we should do this together or whatever. And I saw things the right way. <laughs> right? You've been in these situations before where somebody sees it one way and then you see it the right way. Right? And it's like, man, we are just not on the same page here. Right? And so if you actually, if you think about your broken your fractured, your awkward relationships, maybe from your past, maybe from work, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker or a friend, isn't it true that if they would just see it your way, everything would be okay, right? Wouldn't it? Some of you don't know what to do right now. This is amazing. <laughs> it would just be okay. And so here's what we're gonna do for the next few weeks. We're gonna address that one question that you've kind of secretly been asking for all of these years. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> and so our, we're going to kick off a new series, uh, and it's going to be called How to Get People to See Things Your Way. 
And there's kind of a long subtitle, so I'm gonna read it to you, which, which is the right way, and until they do, you, they're in your way, holding up progress, keeping the family in turmoil, or ruining another Thanksgiving. If they would just see things your way, everything would be okay. So we're gonna talk about how to get people to move towards you, to see things the way you see them. Uh, so we're gonna talk about if you have a student who doesn't value a geometry class and their GPA and their ability to make money so they can take better care of you when they're paying for your living situation, when you're in your 80s or 90s, we're gonna talk about how to convince them that geometry matters. Uh, maybe you have a mother-in-law who just walks around your house just judging, 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 judging. Uh, we're gonna talk about how to convince her uh, to chill out and maybe, that, uh, maybe make it so you'd want her over more often. Uh, maybe you have a family member or an in-law or something. There was that thing that happened a few Thanksgivings ago and it got awkward and, uh, and, and now it's just, you know, there's tension and there's turmoil. And um, I mean, we're gonna talk about how you can convince him he was wrong and get him to apologize for it. Um, and so we're, gonna, we're gonna just gonna jump in and talk about how to get people to see things your way. Um, how to, how not, not only will you get them to see it your way, but they will also apologize to you um, but in order to do that, you're going to have to master uh, a, a, some really, really, I don't know, hard, uh, the tools for effective relationship management. Because remember, after all, people need to be managed. <laughs> and so I want to talk about a, 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 a secret approach. And this is important that you keep it secret. But it's a secret approach to relationships. It's called the C4 approach to relationship management. Now, I know some of you are going, wow, C4, that's a plastic explosive. It just blows everything up. That is just completely coincidental, okay? Uh, it's just it's such a, so random. And so um, if you want to get people to move in your direction, to apologize, to be right all the time, to, to, to see things the way you two, I'm going to give you the four Cs of how to really manage people and get them to move your way. You guys ready for these? This is great stuff. So here they are. Here's the four Cs. Uh, it's to convince, to convict, to coerce, and to control. If you will do these four things, I'm, I, it makes me, I was kind of worried. I'm really glad you're laughing, okay? <laughs> but if you'll do these four things, you will be able to manage people and see the outcomes you want. In fact, um, it's so effective, I wanted you to hear some testimonials. The C4 approach to relationship management has completely turned our marriage oh. around. Absolutely, <laughs> so close to just failing, you know? <laughs> All four C's are complete game changers. Convince, coerce, convict, and control. <laughs> if there was a fifth C, it'd be cool. <laughs> Six months ago, I was gonna take a week and a half off from my wedding and honeymoon. The day before I headed out to the resort, Lisa told me that she needed a pitch deck done in a day and a half. And what did I say? You said, looks like you'll need to postpone that wedding. <laughs> I'm single now. My relationship with my son has always been very interesting. He loves acting, but I love football. He's my son, he lives in my house, so he should be playing my favorite sport. The C4 approach to relationships understands that and helps me call all the right plays. I can't wait to try my costume. Uniform. And then go to my audition. Tryouts. Hey, what do you do when you score? You bow. Spike it, son. <laughs> you spike it. 
check out the C4 approach to relationships ASAP. You'll learn things like how to shame journal. I started a shame journal myself, and it's just a detailed list of every time that Emily has hurt me or let me down. And now, when we have an argument, I just read her a few entries, and before you know it, she sees things my way. I've been journaling since eighth grade. That's really what you came to church to hear about this weekend. Now, why are we all laughing? Because it's absurd. This is silly. It's, of course there's a no C4 approach to relationship. I mean, just look at these. Convince, convict, coerce, and control. I, 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 I think if we look at this, we can look at how many times has somebody tried one of these tools on you? to convince or shame or move you in their direction, right? How many times do they help you get closer to the people around you? No, they don't. Do these work? Are they effective? No, they're not. Um, in fact, I would say that probably most of us would agree we kind of tend and we have a tendency to actually naturally resist all of these, don't we? Like when we feel somebody bringing this at me, I'm going to kind of resist. But sometimes we can't help ourselves and we go back and try this anyway. We can't help ourselves to go, yeah, that's, that's such a funny video. No one would ever do that. But when we get home, it's my way or the highway. Well, that, that sounds like a lot of what's in here. Um, nothing gets resolved. We tell ourselves, I can't do anything about it. I've tried anymore. We, we, we can't manage or, or fix our relationship with our spouse, our kids, our neighbor, or whatever. And, and here's what's interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it doesn't seem like it should be that hard to fix or maintain or repair a relationship. But it is. Like relationships are tricky. There's so many dynamics and layers and there's so much going on. And so I thought that for four weeks, we should talk about relationships. We're not gonna talk about how to get people to do things your way. We're not gonna talk about the C4 approach. Some of you, I am worried that's the only thing you're gonna remember from church. Um, but listen, if it gets you to bring a friend with you next week, we'll do literally almost anything. So, <coughs> excuse me. But, um, but I do wanna start a four-part series starting this week actually called this, called Some Assembly Required. Okay, now we're preaching, all right. Some Assembly Required. Rather than how to get people to do things your way, Some Assembly Required. Because if you've ever been in any kind of a relationship of any sort, it's tricky. You need some instructions. There's some assembly required. Nothing just, nobody just wakes up one day and they're like, I'm happy, they're happy, there's no tension, things are amazing. I'm managing my stress well individually. They're handling their stress well individually. Like there's almost so much joy, it's annoying. Like nobody just wakes up there, right? That we move towards these things. And so I wanna ask a quick question. Uh, it's not a trick question. How many of you currently would say I'm in, are in a relationship? I'm in a relationship. Okay, uh, not even, some of you might just be sleeping, so whatever. But, um, and some of you literally don't know what's happening right now, which is fine. I, that's how I prefer it anyway. But only about half the, 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 the hands went up. But here's what I want to kind of say, and this is obvious, haha. but if you're a dad, you're in a relationship. If you're a daughter, you're in a relationship. If you're a friend, you're in a relationship. If you go to work somewhere and have coworkers or a boss or employees, you're in a relationship. If you have anybody living near you, you're in a relationship. If you come to church, you're in a relationship. If you don't have anybody near you, that might be on purpose. You probably so my point is this. When I say, and that's part of where, where we go in our, in, our, in our minds with our culture, like who's in a relationship? And we just automatically go to like the notebook or whatever. Um, 
But we were going to talk about relationships for four weeks, but we're not just going to talk about romantic relationships, husbands and wives. We're going to talk about how can we maintain, fix, rebuild, have healthy relationships with the people that are in our lives. Um, there have been some studies that have been, that have been done that, that have shown that um, even the most introverted uh, exclusionary people will interact with an influence over 10,000 people in their life. So why do I tell you that? In an interaction and relationships are inevitable. We were made for a relationship. We've talked about it a, a lot, but it can get a little bit dicey. And so um, I want to talk about the idea of some assembly required. We're going to start. And so um, I made this up here because this uh, represents kind of like, this is uh, for the sake of this message, this is our showroom. Anybody ever been shopping for like a furniture set, bedroom set, desk, whatever, and you walk in to Ikea or Target or Better Home, what, you pick your store, whatever, and you walk in and they have it displayed and the lighting and it's there and it has the perfect plant and you're like, that's the one. That's what I want. So this is like our showroom, right? Like pretend for the sake of, of, of just the illustration that we're looking for a nice lamp where we could store some stuff. And we walk in, we're going around, we've been to different stores and all of a sudden you walk in like, oh my gosh, that's the one. It has these nice little standards and I got, I like this little thing. And of course they always put like the nicest rug and the perfect like accent chair. And you're like, man. And of course the person sitting and in the chair, that's like a thousand dollars next to the lamp that you want is of course like CrossFit swimsuit model, you know, uh, like perfect life, perfect smile. Took 3000 shots to get one good one. And you walk in and you're like, this is the one I want. And so you, you're, you get a picture like that is what I want. And I think we do this all the time with relationships. We see something on Instagram, or we see, uh, maybe you see your pastor and his wife out to dinner on a Friday night or whatever, or your parents, you know, that one time a year at Thanksgiving and everybody's on their best behavior. And you're like, it's the showroom version of a relationship. You know, you, it's like, um, you know, or maybe it's how you come to church on the weekends. Like, guys, I know what it's like at home, but we just, we can make it an hour when we come to Cape Christian, okay? Like, pretend we like each other, no cussing, no biting, like, just say please and thank you and I'll get you whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like you have, we all have the showroom version. And so uh, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you find the one, you're like, I can't wait to get this. And you order it. And if you've never done this before, you're always surprised the first time. It's like, I can't wait to have the lamp. And then the doorbell rings and you get this. And you end up with this. You're like, I don't want this. I want that. And so you're excited. You're like, man, I cannot believe they like fit this thing in here. What'd they do? Like fold it in half. And then you're like, and then this happens. You go, oh, here's how I get my lamp. Well, that's not what I wanted. When you're like, I don't even, what in the world? I don't even know what's going on here. These pieces are connected. We got boards everywhere. And if you're a guy, you're like, don't need those. And what do we do? We throw them out. We're like, good thing I got all the power drills. Where's my workbench? There's got to be some in here. Rule number one, don't use any power drill. Like, let's go. It'll take no time. And you start going and hammering, and all of a sudden things are stuck, and they won't go, and there's stickers, and you're like, why is there an A on this? And these are the, why is, they're the exact same. Why does that say A and that say B? What are we doing? And, and this is, and then there's more of them. I just want this. I just want a lamp that I can put my books on. 
and create the perfect ambiance. And if you'll include the rug. But here's the deal, and here's what I want to talk about. At least the manufacturers, they know we're going to throw these away, guys, but they give them to us anyway. They at least give us these instructions, right? But how often in life do we approach relationship? We have a picture of what we want, but all we get is a box of stuff. And if we're really honest, most of us didn't get an instruction manual with it, and we also didn't get the tools to build it. But now we find ourselves dating or engaged or married or divorced or with kids we didn't plan on or with bonus kids we didn't plan on or a boss who is a psycho or whatever. And now all of a sudden, we have to build this relationship and all we got are these pieces we don't know what to do with, a bunch of tools that don't make sense and there's no instructions required or no instructions included. So what do we do? And, and if I were to give a metaphor for what I see happening in our world, what I see happening in our culture, what I see happening in the church, this church, our church, my life, my family, my extended family, this is, this is a great picture of what's happening. Somewhere we all have a picture of how it's supposed to be as a husband, wife, mom, dad, but then it, we get this and we just start like banging and putting stuff together and it might turn on, it might work, it might last for a little while, but it's not really working. And I can tell you in my five years of being a lead pastor, my 20 years in ministry, the first 15 working with youth and young adult, relationships are really hard. They're a lot of work. And can I tell you what I'm finding? That we're not very good at it. Like there a lot of them are broken. And, and I, I found, because I think it starts with somewhere in this perception we as Christians, we as Americans, we as people, maybe you're not even American, somewhere along the lines, we have adopted a broken view of relationships and then we have a very inadequate approach. And this, the, the goal of this is not to shame anybody at all. Absolutely not. In fact, it's very much the opposite. We're gonna inspire you, call you to a great level. We're gonna give you tools. We're gonna encourage you, uh, hopefully give you so much hope. But I don't think I have to spend much time uh, talking about or convincing you that on a lot of levels, what we're doing isn't really working, right? I don't, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time going through the divorce rates and the abuse and, and, and all these things. And if any of these are you, it's not, again, it's not to shame you. It's just we, somehow we're, we're, we, are, we don't have what we need. And I'm so passionate about this that I want you to have what you need. And, and, and I believe that God has given us some tools and, and wants to equip us, whether it's as parents or friends or siblings or leaders and spouses and even, even the question of like, well, everybody wants to blame this next generation, but who's gonna take responsibility for them? And is it me? Is it you? We're gonna address some of those things because some assembly, any relationship you want to have uh, has the potential to be unbelievably fulfilling, unbelievably life-giving, unbelievably joy-filled, and that's what God wants it to be for you. But there will be some assembly required. There's going to need to be some work. There's going to need to be some effort. And we can't just give it our best shot and hope it turns out okay. We wouldn't do it with a $40 lamp. We wouldn't, that's a $40 lamp. It might be 80. I don't know how much they spent. It's not worth 40 now. But with a $40 lamp, we wouldn't go, I'm just going to give it my best shot and hope it turns out. So then why in the world would we do that with something as precious as relationship? Again, whether it's parenting, kids, coworkers, the work environment you live in, the home environment, romantic relationships. And so most of us, we were given 
when it comes to romantic relationships, for example, we were given the tools of our parents to build relationships. A few of us got some good tools. Most of us didn't. We also got their toolbox for parenting. A few of us got some good tools. Most of us didn't. And yet, we're convinced, we're so prideful, we'll do it better <laughs> with the same tools and no instructions. What if we didn't do that? What if we took it seriously? What if we were intentional about our relationships across the board as maybe other things? And so I want to give you a, a, a happy alternative than the C4 approach because some of us have actually been taking the C4 approach to our relationships with our kids or with our spouse or with our friends or with our coworkers. We're trying to convince and coerce and just convict them into our way. And again, it doesn't draw them to us. It typically pushes them away from us. And, and, and that, again, it's not to shame anybody because why would we do that? Because that's the toolbox we got. That's the tools we have. We want to give you some more tools. And so I want to give you, it's almost so simple. It's almost so profound. I'm always afraid when I say something this simple that people are going to be like, yeah, 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 go to the next part. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I will when we do it. Because information alone doesn't matter. Like it's our ability to build something because here's what God wants you to do as a parent, as a spouse, as a coworker. He wants you to build something great, build something that lasts, build something that shines light for other people to see and build something that can be an encouragement. And here's the best part. If you were given the greatest toolbox ever, you can do this. If you were given no tools at all, you can do this. If you, have, if you are on the extreme end of dysfunction abuse, you can do this. This is everybody can have the type of relationships that God wants them to do, but there's just gonna be some assembly required and there's gonna be, probably be some healing and some unlearning, but there's nobody who's like, well, I guess I just can't because I was born in the wrong family, wrong side of the tracks, wrong time, wrong generation. No, that's the good news with God. Like that doesn't, that's not true. It's, it's the great neutralizer. And so um, here, let me share with you kind of where some of this comes from. I've worked with, uh, so 20 years, the last five years I've been, uh, lead pastoring. The five years, I was on staff for 16 years in um, Omaha. My last five years, I was adult discipleship in small groups. Nobody really knew what I did. It, it doesn't matter. Um, but I worked with older people with more money that acted like middle schoolers. Um, uh, and then the 10, 12 years before that, I worked with our leadership college, our master's commission, as well as our youth and our, our middle school and our high school. So I've worked with middle school, high school, young adults, um, and in, in pretty intense discipleship. And um, really, we would get into their story and, and almost for after 15 years of working with the next generation, I kind of came to the same conclusion with everybody. Like the, the, the one thing that God was always doing as they were coming into adulthood was healing a bunch of wounds from key relationships and giving them the right tools to do it better in the next generation. It didn't matter where you came from, your church experience, your, your, your home life or whatever. That was what he did. And, and I saw so many times these students and these, these kids that would come back to their relationship with their dad or a coach, sometimes good, sometimes bad, their mom or a teacher, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But, but relationships seem to super matter, but they're one of the things that we have the least amount of intentionality towards. And they just, we just kind of like hope it, it works out. And, and so I found a really interesting correlation when we started talking about the types of relationships and the healthy relationships and ones that were good and healthy and ones that were life-giving. And again, nobody's perfect. No parent's perfect. No kid is perfect. No work environment's perfect. That expectation is, is not that we don't do that here. Um, but what I found is I found, and I was thinking about this, I found this really, really interesting correlation. And this correlation is, is the tool I'm going to give you because the tool is really simple. The correlation I found in the last 20 years of dealing with people is 
the people I have found that truly follow Jesus. I don't mean go to church. I don't mean believe in Jesus. I mean follow him. I mean, I have, like G Joseph said a couple of weeks ago, I have found him and I am following him. The people who follow Jesus and stay close to him, like let him inform everything about their life. This, it's, it's so bizarre, the correlation, but this 20 years of adult ministry, those people seem to have healthier and more life-giving relationships than the people who don't. I'm to a person, to a person, to a gender, to a, uh, to a uh, demographic, to an ethnicity, to a, uh, a generation, those who are like genuinely finding, following, and staying close to Jesus seem to have way richer relationships whether it's parenting, whether it's being a son or a daughter, whether it's romantic, marriage, coworkers, neighbors. And so I can't help but start with the, the, the simplest tool in the drawer. And it's almost too simple, but, but I think if we would actually do this, we would start to build these things the right way. And so there's one tool that what all I wanna talk about is how can I, how can I enhance your relationships this week? If you were to apply one thing, if you were to do one thing, it will enhance every, I promise you, every single relationship you have, this will enhance it. And it's simply this, here's the tool. Start with God. Start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. Some of you are underwhelmed and some of you are disappointed right now. And if that's you, I would ask you to push pause and back up and let's just do some evaluation. How am I really doing at having, being like Jesus in my relationships? Because those who are doing that, they're the ones that end up staying married and wanting to be around each other 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Those are the ones that I see whose adult children still want to have relationship with them. Those are the ones that are going, hey, I know you can't pay me as much, but I still want to work with you because of what you've created here and the way you treat us. I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's crazy. And so I want to invite you in your relationships. If there's no one, listen, by the way, there's no one simple way. There's no one instruction, but to start with God. And here's why I say that. Because whether you realize it or not, you are being inundated with everybody else's idea about how you should do a relationship, how you should parent, how you should hate the person who thinks differently than you, looks differently than you, votes differently than you, how you should, how you should get retribution towards your neighbor whose solar panels, blah, 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 and tree hangs over your, your yard, and, and the way you should uh, uh, verbally or non-verbally react when people cut you off. You are constantly being inundated on somebody else's opinion on how that should go. Well, why not invite the author of relationships into that spot? Why not look at his example? Why not be, use him as the one to go, you know what? Before I just take all this in and be like, yeah, I'm gonna do it your way. Let me evaluate the fruit of your life. You hate everyone. You're always angry. Nobody likes to be around you. Yeah, maybe don't listen to that guy. Then there's this other dude who only served love, gave mercy, grace, and was humble and gracious. And people around the world have been following him for 2000 years. Most of us haven't even met him. And we're like, I just wanna be like him. You wouldn't even know him if he walked in. Think about it. You wouldn't know him Jesus if he walked in. You, you wouldn't because you've never seen him. Yet he lived 2,000 years ago and he did it in such a way that you're like, I'm following that guy. So let's look at him. Start with God. And this is so simple. It's so, so simple. But Jesus said it. 
Remember John 13, 35, the greatest commandment. He pulled the disciples in before he went to the cross. And he basically said, here's the secret. Here's the first tool. Here's how you start to build great relationships. He said, you are to love others the way I loved you. You know what I love? I love that he left it at that. I love that there's not 17 more chapters on these seven things and these 12 tactics because why? That's coercing and convincing and controlling. He just said, love other people the way I did. Well, how did you love them? We should spend the rest of our lives going over and over and over and over how Jesus loved people. We should reread it and repractice it and reread it and repractice it and reread it and repractice it and repray it and repray it and reread it and repractice it. And then when we've memorized it, we read it. Love others the way I loved it. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. Here's your tool. Some of you are like, man, this is so underwhelming. But listen, I'll tell you this. The more complicated and the more information gets out in this world, and I read a ton of it, the more simple I'm just getting in my approach because I'm fanatically practical. I don't care about the information. Give me one thing I can do to make my life better. When Paul was talking to the Greeks about the same thing, they kind of had some dysfunction in their relationships. He says to the letter to the Philippians, he goes, okay, guys, here's the deal. This is what the Bible says. This is our, our instruction manual. The Bible says this. Philippians 2 says, in your relationships with one another. Okay, well, first of all, which relationships? My mom and dad? Yeah. My kids? Yeah. My neighbors? Yeah. The people I don't like that kids are in my dance club? Yeah. People I don't like whose kids are on my soccer team? Yeah. The people who drive me crazy? Yeah. My old boss? Yeah. The ex? Yeah. My co-parents situation, yeah, in my relationships with one another's. Which ones? All of them. Man, if we would get this, if we would get this, America would look so different. Can I say something? Can I say, can I say? This is why I'm so passionate about this. I believe COVID was one of the greatest opportunities the church ever had, and we whiffed hard. We swung and missed because we played a fool's game and we looked like the world and instead of gain influence, we lost it and we started play dumb games, win dumb prizes and we did it. I think we missed in COVID and I don't wanna miss again because I've given my life to this thing. And so this stuff isn't just words. This isn't a paycheck for me. I'm like, I think the church still is the hope of the world and a hope of America. And I don't mean getting people to convert to a religion. I mean, let's be like Jesus in our world. And so here's what Paul said. In your relationships with one another. Who is that? Which relationships? Okay, what's he about to say? Because here it is. This is the best. Have the same mindset as Jesus. Have the same approach Jesus did. Well, wait, 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 Paul. Which relationships? All of them. Even that, yeah, even that one. What about, yeah. Well, okay, pastor, you're out of time. Are you gonna tell us what Jesus did? No, you're gonna go find out for yourself because I already know. And me knowing isn't doing you any good in your marriage or your parenting or your coworker situation. But I know if you go dig and you find, it's gonna transform your life. Where do I find out? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He loved like no one, forgave like no one, included like no one. He was better to women and children than any figure in the history of the world. He was for the people who were down and out. He showed grace. He showed mercy. He was perfect, yet did not condemn. He had so much patience. He had so much forgiveness. He was, he was constantly taken advantage of, misunderstood, and rather than fight back, he said, you know what? I just came to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what he did. And you can read 
stories and, and all kinds of things and dive in, we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can I tell you that I'm so glad that, that, that somebody taught me this, that I was given this tool? Because see, for me a long time ago, in my, in my teens and early 20s, the goal was never for me, I, I, not, I think it was a goal, but my, 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 my target was never to be a good husband. My goal was not to be a good dad. My goal was not to be a good pastor. Half the time I didn't want to be one. Sometimes I still don't. My goal was not to be a good coworker. My goal was not to be a good friend. My goal was not to be a good community leader. Some people tell me I do that. Do you know what my goal was? To be close to Jesus and to be like Jesus. My goal was to be close to Jesus, to talk to him, to pray to him, to sing to him, to journal to him, have faith in him, and to be like him. My goodness, I try my best all the time to be like Jesus, and every day I fail. But there's nobody better, in my opinion, in all my studies and all my digging and all my research worth following. And you know what's crazy about that? Because that wasn't my goal, I have found that when I'm close to Jesus and when I'm like Jesus, guess what happens? I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better coworker. I'm a better community leader. I'm a better friend. I'm a better brother. Some of us, we've made relationships the goal instead of being close to and be like Jesus. And when you do that, the lamp almost takes care of itself but we're watching and reading and doing this. And we, some most of us, we're gonna get into this in the next three weeks, but we have such a self-focused approach and that's kind of strike one that's never gonna work. And so if you will make being close to Jesus and being like Jesus your priority, I will personally guarantee it will enhance every relationship you have that means anything to you. It might even build and fix some bridges that are broken. And if it doesn't, I'll do all your counseling for free. I'm that confident. I do free counseling anyway, I'm a pastor. You don't want me. And here's, what, here's the best part. Jesus knew we would struggle with this. He knew we would wrestle with it. He knew that we were like, yeah, but what about us? And what about, but I have needs and, and, I, and, and Enneagram and strength finders and romance and love languages. And Jesus, and Jesus knew we were gonna get that. So he just spoke to it 2,000 years ago. He knew what you were gonna be worried about. He's like, I got you, I got you. In his first sermon ever, in Matthew chapter six, he said this, hey guys, let me tell you something. You don't have to worry about your life, about having something to eat, having something to drink, having something to wear, what your career is gonna be and who you're gonna marry. You don't gotta worry about that. He goes on in verse 32, he says, only people who don't know God are always worrying about those kinds of things. Your father in heaven knows already what you need. He already knows. He's got it. The spouse, the kids, the job, the clothes, the home. He knows. He says only people who aren't close to Jesus and don't, aren't like Jesus and don't be like him, they worry about those things. But then he said this, but here's the cool part. Here's the tool. If you will seek the kingdom of God above all else and live the right way, follow Jesus, he will give you everything you need. But I want a husband right now. You don't need a husband right now. You just need Jesus. I want three kids right now. You don't need three kids right now, but you have Jesus. 
I want to have two jobs and an entrepreneur and a side income. That may happen, but he will give you everything you need. In other words, he said it this way. If you seek me first in my kingdom, all the things you're seeking will take care of themselves. They will be added unto you. My pastor taught it to me this way, that whatever you seek the most prioritizes your life. If you seek a career, a career will prioritize your life. If you seek a relationship, a relationship will prioritize your life. It will arrange your life. If you seek money, money will arrange your life. If you seek happiness, the pursuit of happiness will arrange your life. If you seek Jesus, Jesus will arrange and, uh, arrange and prioritize your life. This is simple gospel 101, but I think in a world where there's so many tech and things, and da-da, I think God is going to keep bringing us back to the simple things. of The beauty of what Pastor Joseph said to us two weeks is as, as he rode off into the sunset. Find Jesus and follow him. It will enhance every relationship. Ah, I just get angry all the time. I bet that's affecting all of your relationships. Guess who can help you with that? Not your wife. She's not helping at all. Not your kids. They'll make it worse. You know who can? Jesus. Jesus, I have this anger inside of me. I don't know where it came from, but something's clearly flawed with me, but I'm gonna invite you into that space. And I'm convinced if you will help me with that, maybe I'll be a better person all around. I worry a lot. I'm afraid a lot. I'm wounded a lot. I overreact a lot. I'm greedy a lot. I'm selfish a lot. Do you know who can help you with all those things? We're starting to get it. Jesus. Somebody type in the line, Jesus. You want a better marriage? Find Jesus. You want to be a better parent? Find Jesus. You want to be a better friend? Find Jesus. You want to be happier? Find Jesus. You want to be more whole? Find Jesus. You want to not be so like, oh, worried about? Find Jesus. Seek him first and all this stuff, and then he'll add back the things you need. Or like Solomon said, a thousand years before Jesus in Proverbs chapter one, he said, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. Listen, this is simple. It's emotional, but it's important. And it has to be constant. And I'm just convinced if we would start doing this as Christians, we're gonna make the world a better place. We'll make our homes a better place. You need time with him. You need to engage him. And so this week, I want to, I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. I want to spur you. I want to hopefully give you hope that no matter how bad or good it's been up to this point, Jesus wants to enhance every relationship you have. So we're gonna get more fancy and detailed and get into the instructions the next three weeks. But I couldn't, we had a different plan. I couldn't go anywhere until we said this. We have to start our relationships with God. Not on the side, but in the middle. Start with God. He will enhance every relationship. You know what time with him looks like, leads to? The more time you spend with Jesus, here's my warning though, just so you know, to be fair. The more time you spend with him, the more you're gonna look like him the more you're going to sound like him, the more you're going to love like him, the more you're going to forgive like him, the more you're going to be generous like him, the more you're going to be part of healing like him, the more you're going to find joy like him. I do need to warn you, if you're not interested in those things, Jesus is not for you. But if you start spending time with him, you're going to start to look and sound like him. And I think that's what you are looking for. So I'm out of time. I'm over time. Shocker. But that's what I want to say to you today. Actually, that's not what I want to say to you. That is what your Heavenly Father wanted to speak to your heart on this weekend. Because I actually had a different plan until yesterday, Thursday. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. This is where we're going to stay. So can I just pray for you? 
Can I just pray that you would be so compelled and urged to go find and cut out time to find Jesus. And while I pray, I just wanna invite you to pray with me, just under your breath, just invite Jesus in. Whether you've never said yes to Jesus or you, you've followed him, invite him into your relationships, invite him into an area that's a liability in your relationships. Just say, Jesus, I want you in the center. I wanna start with you. What if we all just hit reset and today we're like, I'm moving forward with Jesus. That's what I'm gonna pray. I wanna invite you to pray it with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the greatest church in the world. I love I love my people. I love these people so much. I love every single woman and man, boy and girl in this church in here. God, I, just, I can't help but feel what you feel right now. I'm so overwhelmed by just your love and your compassion and your strong urge and desire for us to get this right and experience all that you have for us. And so God, rather than try to convince and coerce and convict, God, would we just start with you in our relationships? Would we remember that we become who we surround ourselves with so you would be one of the primary influences in our life, that we would find you in worship. We would find you in the word. We would find you. God, your word promises if we seek you that we will find you. And so would we look at what you look like and, and that we would, like Paul said, that we could be like Paul when he said, in our relationships with everybody, that we would have the same approach as Jesus, who put others first, who loved and God, for all the reasons and all the hurts and all the dysfunctions and all the, 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 the toolboxes that don't have the right tools, all the reasons why we can't, will you come to start make up that gap? Will you bring healing? Will you build bridges? We invite you into where there's brokenness. I pray that you would heal. Where there's absence, I pray that you would bring in what's needed. And God, I pray that we would just give our worry to you, that you would be the Lord of our entire life, including our, our most important relationships. We invite you into our situation. God, help us. I pray that even in the next four weeks, you would start to heal and transform relationships so that there'd be so much more life and joy coming out of us and that we truly would be an example of what you're like to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.